couple years ago, we were uh, meeting, I was meeting with some administrators of other Christian schools from all over the state of Georgia, and uh, there, one of them was lamenting about how uh, young men don't sing anymore, and, and he was saying, so, you know, how do, we, how, do, how do we teach them to sing? And the next Sunday I was at church and I was like, this is where they learn to sing. You know? This is where they learn, or not to sing, by the way. This is where they learn to sing or not to sing, uh, depending on how you uh, establish your liturgy in your church. And so uh, thankful to hear the saints sing this morning. What a blessing it is uh, to sing of God's uh, great, great grace and mercy upon us. Well, in a moment, we'll turn in Ephesians 2, and we'll focus on just that. But as we begin this morning to set the stage, let me begin this way. There are two types of people in the world. There are those who love to get up early and those who hate them. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. People who like to get up early always brag about it, don't they? Um, the rest of us are like, oh, come on. Uh, there are those who hit snooze and those who don't. This was a source of tension in my marriage when I first got married, right? I won't say which side who was on, um, but yes. There are two types of people in the world. There are those who fill up their car as soon as the fuel gauge is somewhere between a quarter and a half a tank, and those who wait on the warning light and who see it as a challenge, Right? I think I can get a little bit more out of this, just a little bit more. There are two types of people in the world. There are those who squeeze the tube of the toothpaste from the bottom like every normal human being should. <laughs> and there are those who squeeze it from the middle. I don't, I, yeah, I just don't understand. I don't understand. We're praying for you. Um, there are two types of people in the world. There are those who like crunchy Cheetos and those who rightly like puffs, right? right? There are two types of people in the world. There are those who use bookmarks and those who egregiously dog-ear the pages. <laughs> there are two types of people in the world. There are those who view the speed limit as the ceiling. That's the maximum speed you can go. And there are those who view it as the floor. That's the minimum speed that you should go. Well, friends, we can go on and on and on, but all broad generalizations and kidding and lightheartedness aside, the Bible indeed affirms that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are in Adam under God's wrath, and there are those who are in Christ and know God through his grace and mercy. And the scripture that is before us this morning reveals to us this truth and this reality that we are either under the wrath of God or we are under his great love in Christ Jesus. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6 together. This is God's word. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires 
of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This concludes the reading of God's word. May he bless it and nourish us through it for his sake and for our good. Brothers and sisters, as we turn to another great passage in Ephesians, as we finished up chapter 1, we begin a section here in verses 1 through 10 that is probably familiar to many of you. And so a couple of introductory remarks on this uh, section of Scripture as we dive into it over the next few weeks um, here of Ephesians 1, I mean 2, 1 through 10. First, as Tyler ended last week in chapter 1, we saw this great cosmic uh, impact, right, that the gospel is having of Christ, uh, all things under his feet. But as Tyler so pointed out to us uh, in such an important way that the, the aim that the Apostle Paul was talking about and what his aim was is that we would know that, right? We would know this great power and that we would know it experientially. And so what is the immeasurable, verse 19, greatness of his power toward us who believe according to his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? So this, this great resurrection power that, that God has worked uh, through his glorious work in Christ Jesus that Paul has talked about in this great doxology in the beginning of chapter 1, that we would know it. And so now it is as though Paul is narrowing in and bringing this in to us. As he's spoken on this grand scale at the end of chapter 1, here he narrows in for you and I. And he's going to talk about how we can know this experientially and how we do know this power in Christ Jesus. And so the way he's going to begin, though, is he's going to begin by giving us the bad news, right? I've got some good news and I've got some bad news, right? Which do you want first? How many times have you heard that in your life? And so you think, it depends, right? It depends on who's telling you that. Is it your child? And then which child is it? That matters a great deal in my house, all right? Or is it your spouse? Is it the doctor? Is it the car mechanic? Who is it that is telling you this? I've got some good news and some bad news. We've all heard it. But here, the Apostle Paul is going to first tell us of what we need to understand that is beyond bad news. It is terrible and sobering news. He's going to tell us the bad news before he gives us this great and glorious good news. And so I've broken the passage down in two main points with some subpoints under them. And so the first three verses, we'll look at this terrible and sobering news. And then in the last three verses, we will look at this great and glorious uh, news together. All right? And so as John Stott says in his uh, work, The Cross of Christ, if you haven't read it, you should read it. And as he says there, that what we need to understand is we must know this bad news. We must know what I've called this terrible and sobering news 
Because to understand it, is, it, it tells us and helps us to understand how great and glorious the good news truly is. He says it's like the black cloth that you would set a diamond on. And then you see the diamond and all this beauty as it refracts the lights from all the different cuts and angles. Right? It's always present there, but it stands out over the backdrop of this black cloth. And so it is for us, if we don't understand the bad news, we won't understand how good the good news truly is. And so first, this morning, we will look at the terrible and sobering news in verses 1 through 3. This is the way the Apostle Paul begins. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. And so first we understand that what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is spiritual death. Because he's going to go on and he's going to talk about them being active, right? Active in this state of spiritual death. And so he's not talking about physical death, but he's talking about this spiritual death that is apart from life in God, that is apart from life outside of God, right? Being separated from God. Why are we spiritually dead? He tells us sin and trespasses. And so thus being separated from God, we are spiritually dead. Physical death is indeed coming. We know that, right? For the wages of sin is death, is what Romans 6.23 says. So we know that this death, this physical death is coming, but here the Apostle Paul is speaking about this reality that is present with us now, that not only are we heading toward physical death, but we, apart from Christ Jesus, are spiritually dead. And why? Because of trespasses and sin. This is why we have entered into this state. A trespass, right? To overstep, to transgress, to go beyond a boundary marker, to deviate from a marked path. Paul is speaking of this here. Sin often is described as missing the mark, to fall short of an aim that we have in mind. And so we have not lived as God has called us to live. We could parallel this entire passage with what we see in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve, right? As they transgressed and went beyond the boundaries of what God set for them when they ate from the tree of knowledge, of knowledge and good and evil, when they missed the aim that he had for them to live according to the standard that he set for them and to walk in fellowship with, them, with him. And so the result of this was to be cast out of his presence. This is life itself. God is very life itself, physical, spiritual, all of it. And so them being cast from the presence of the Lord is a mark of the spiritual death that has come upon all of us. The Apostle Paul begins here. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And then next, he lays out these external influences and internal influences. By the way, I don't know. The influences is the best word. I've wrestled with it this week, but we're going to go with this for now, right? And so look at what he talks about. He talks about external and then internal. External and internal. So you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. That's a very important word in the book of Ephesians, this word walked. Actually, verses 1 through 10 are bookended with this. So in 10, it's going to talk about the new creation 
and that you would walk, right? That you'd walk in that. And Paul will continue this theme of walk. And so it's this, this whole orientation of life, of, of the way that we're living, the rhythm to which we're, we're walking to in our life is it is moving forward. And so he says, you are dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. And so this is how we know he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. And then notice what he says. He says, you follow the course of the world. Cultural influences, we could say it that way to put it in modern terms. Brothers and sisters, we have to realize that there is no neutrality in this world. Psalm chapter 2 is true, that the nations rage and plot and seek to burst the bonds apart, right? Transgress, go beyond the boundary markers that God has set, that everything that we encounter is calling us, our hearts and our, our loves and our affections and our whole being towards something. It's calling us towards something. It's either calling us to the Lord and to his ways or it's calling us to rebel just as Adam and Eve did in the garden and to walk your own way and to go your own way. Friends, as we move forward in this, what you need to realize is that, that all of us are in this boat, that we do it in many different ways, but we are either seeking to save ourselves and to attain for ourselves our own life and our own glory, or we have come under God and his lordship, and we are walking according to his ways. So even in our rebellion, we may be trying to do it through righteous and moral living and saying, hey, I'm not as bad as that person. I'll be all right. I don't, I don't need the Lord. I'll, I'll do these things on my own time and my own way. Or we may be trying to cast off all things and just go the completely irreligious way and just say, I don't need any of that period. I'll just forge my own path and go my own way. Brothers and sisters, what we need to recognize is that the course of the world, that these influences that we encounter every day, they are, let's use church language, they're discipling us. They're catechizing us. From the billboards that we see, to the songs that we hear, to the books that we read, to the news that we watch, all of it is orienting our hearts towards some ultimate aim and saying, this is the good life, and this is how you stay away from things that will not lead to the good life, or this is how you attain that good life. That everything is acting like a gospel tract, if you were, and saying, this is heaven, and this is how you get there. Right? Friends, we must recognize this. This is why gathering together every week is so important. To reorient our hearts to the Lord and to his ways. To call us back to the path from the right or the left to which we've deviated that week, to where we've placed our hope in lesser things, to where our loves have gotten out of order and we are given inordinate amount of love to other things, to call us back to the Lord and to his grace and mercy to us in Christ Jesus. Notice what he says next. He says, And once you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, we would understand this to refer to Satan himself. It's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve, right? So he came in and tempted them. Has God said? I love the line from Lig Duncan that says, that voice, when we hear it, is that really what God said? Is that really what he meant? Always comes with a hiss. Always. Is that really what he said? Is that really what he meant? 
the Bible is clear that, that Satan is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. John chapter 10. It's clear that he prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5 8. Brothers and sisters, the passage is making clear that, that once, before Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were following the course of this world, and we were following the prince of the power of the air. Again, there is no neutrality. We were sons of disobedience, running headlong towards sin and damnation. That this was our desire, that this was what we wanted, and this is what we were chasing after. Does this mean that Satan has unfettered power, that, that he can do whatever he wants? No, it doesn't. We can just look at the book of Job and we can see clearly that God has set boundaries for Satan that even he himself cannot cross. But we must realize that he is at work and that he is seeking to still kill and destroy, that he is seeking to devour. Brothers and sisters, it goes far beyond that. It's not just our external influences. It is internal in us. Look at what he says in verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. The passions, the desires. Think back to Genesis 3. And Eve saw the fruit saw that it was to be delighted in, right? She, wanted, she delighted in it, saw it as to be desired to make one wise. That's the language that Scripture uses. And that it's not just external of us. It's not just the devil made us do it. It's that this is who we are apart from Christ. That we long to be rebels against a holy God. And we desire to assert ourselves and usurp his authority and be our own gods that we chase, here's a cultural lie today, the illusion of autonomy and that we can be our own gods and direct our own selves and do whatever we want to do. Notice what this looks like. We can continue on and, and see and let Scripture interpret Scripture in it, and it tells us how this plays out, that what our desires and our appetites are. Galatians 5.19, we, we know of Galatians 5, right, and the, the glorious fruit of the Spirit that is there, but the Apostle Paul tells us what the fruit of the flesh are, what the works of the flesh are. And he says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're, they're sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that you who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul is, is making clear here what, what this is and, and what is in us, this rebellion that is, is even in our very hearts. And then notice what the result of this is. The body and the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is saying it, 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 this is broad, sweeping. This is everyone apart from Christ that we are children of wrath, that we are rebels against a holy God. Brothers and sisters, we must recognize the weight of this. We must recognize 
what he's saying and, and, and what this means for us, that, that, that by nature, just like our first father, Adam, we are rebels, Romans chapter 5. That as we began, that, that everyone is either in Adam or in Christ, that we are either rebelling against God and we are under his wrath, is what he says. Or we are in Christ by his grace and mercy. Theologically, we have sought to define this as, as total depravity. Some would want to call it a radical depravity. What does it mean? Does this doctrine mean that, that humankind is as bad as it possibly could be? No, that's not what it means. What it does mean is there is nothing that is in us that is not touched by sin and the fall. Every bit of us, from desires to mind to loves to passions to actions, to words, to thoughts, to deeds, all of it, every bit of our nature has been touched by this. And the result is that we are children of wrath. Friends, this is what one pastor called the, the, the result of this, what this children of wrath means is that, that we deserve what one pastor called the anti-Aaron blessing. And he said it like this, he said, what we deserve in and of ourselves and our nature is the Lord curse you and cast you off. The Lord hide his face from you and pour out his wrath on you. The Lord hide the light of his countenance from you and give you turmoil. See, we must understand the bad news. We must understand that, that, that internal, external, that everywhere we look, it, we are spiritually dead. There are no AEDs in cemeteries. There is no hope of self-rescue. Friends, apart from Christ, we are without hope. In this plight and this reality is hard. It's heavy. It's sobering. Verse 4, but God. Typically, we don't like to hear the word but in a sentence, do we? I'm sorry I wasn't very kind, but that just negates everything that was just said, right? But you made me do it, right? We would never say it that candidly, but we know that's what's coming. Friends, as someone has said, this is the greatest conjunction in all the Bible. Because we are, in fact, without hope in and of ourselves, but God. <laughs> Salvation does not come within. Do not follow the mantra of the world of, of look deep within you and find within you and self-actualize. No, friends, we need help from without side of us. And but God is from where that help will come. And so what we see in the midst of this, this hard and heavy and terrible and sobering news is great and glorious good news. And it begins with God. The problem begins with us in our rebellion and our sin, but the great and glorious good news, the hope, the opportunity for hope begins with God. But God. Notice what is said in these verses. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he's loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let's look at this passage this way. Let's think on the great and glorious news. Let's think on in light of God, verses 4 and 5. But I want to lay out a couple of things and call our attention to a couple of different things. First, I want to look at the great love. I know mercy comes first, but it's rooted in this great love. That The reason why there's this richness of mercy is because of this great love, and then we'll look at mercy, and then we'll look at grace, okay? So because of his great love with which he loved us. This love, this is covenantal language. This is God choosing to set his love upon us. Ephesians 1, the beginning of the chapter that that Tyler looked at several weeks ago, that that God has, has chosen us, that he has chosen to set his love on us. Friends, it is very clear that there was nothing lovely in us. It is very clear that, that we did nothing to earn or, or merit or, or gain or call out this love and affection from God. It's just as he told his people Israel in the Old Testament, I have I've made you my people not because of anything that you've done and not because you're great in number and grand and have done these great things, but he just set his love on them and he called them to be his people. So it is with us that he has chosen to set his great love on us. Listen to the way Thomas Watson said it. See the amazing love of God in making us his sons. Pause the quote for a moment. Remember chapter one? That he has, what? Loved us. That he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us, verse five, for adoption to himself as sons in Jesus Christ, right? In love, he has chosen to adopt us. Now, back to Watson. See the amazing love of God in making us his sons. In, it is love in God to feed us, but even more to adopt us. Behold, what manner of love that the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called sons of God. It is full of wonder. The wonder of God's love in adopting us will appear the more if we consider this, that God should adopt us when he had a son of his own. Men adopt because they want children and desire to have some to bear their name. But that God should adopt us when he had his own son, the Lord Jesus, here is the wonder of love. Christ is called God's dear son, a son more worthy than angels being made so much better than the angels. Now, When God had a son of his own, such a son, here is the wonder of God's love in adopting us. We needed a father, but he did not need sons. This is the love that God has lavished upon us. To think on his love. That there was nothing in us to call out that love, but that he set it on us. And that his undying, unfailing, continuing to pursue of us in love that we sang of a moment ago, how deep the Father's love for us, that he would send his son. Brothers and sisters, we can see in this passage that it is because of this great love that God has poured out and he's rich in mercy 
and has given us grace. I think we're right to understand that, that mercy is not getting what we deserve. That is mercy, just to say that we would not get what we deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve God's wrath. We deserve his wrath. We deserve to have that wrath poured out on us. We deserve that anti-Aaron blessing that we just read a moment ago, that we deserve to have him turn his face away, to curse us, and to not give us anything but judgment for our sins. Yet, this is not what God is going to do. He is going to give us mercy. He is not going to pour that wrath out on us and give us that judgment because of the mercy that he extends to us in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't stop there, does it? This is how we tend to think about it. We tend to think about it that, that if this is zero, right, this is scary, I'm going to do math for a moment, that if this is zero, and that we are in great debt, we're way down here, Right? But God doesn't hold that debt against us. He just pulls us to zero. That's how we like to think about it. But friends, it's not just mercy and not giving us what we deserve, not making us pay for our debt, but he has lavished his grace upon us as well. He's going so much further than that. Grace is best understood as gift, that God is gifting us something so look at the passage again, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy, he's not going to hold the sin against us. He's not going to make us pay for our sin. Because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So get that to drive the point even further home that while God is acting to bring about our salvation, we are still actively rebelling against him and still in transgression and sin. So friend, maybe you're here today and you're listening to the gospel and you're saying, one day I'll clean up enough to come to the Lord. No, you will not. You never will. And guess what? He knows that. And that even while you're actively in a mess and state of your sin, he has sent Christ Jesus to die for you and to secure salvation for you. So stop trying to clean yourself up because it's never going to happen and just throw yourself on his mercy and grace and say, save me a sinner. So here, that while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God makes us alive together in Christ. Now get this. Because he's going to give grace, and then Paul goes, by grace you have been saved. So not only is he going to bring you to zero, but he's going to elevate you to the heavens. If you can find this, I'll give you a hug. I don't, I don't like to hug people, but I'll give, I'll give you a hug. It's been attributed to J.I. Packer. I can't find it. But the, the way J.I. Packer um, <clears throat> described this is that if you were to come home one night and you found that someone has broken into your home and they're trying to rob you, mercy would be not calling the police. That's what they deserve. They deserve the police to be called and for the action of the law to be taking place, right? So it's not giving them what they deserve. He says grace would be sitting them at your table and feeding them a meal and going beyond and giving them far more than even what they deserve. Friends, that is just one little scratch in the surface of what the Lord has done for us in Christ Jesus. That he's not giving us what we deserve for our sin, 
He's not placing this judgment on us. He's not just bringing us a zero. But he has sent his son. And by grace we've been saved in verse 6. And he's raised us up. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. This is amazing news. There, there, there is a reason why we call it good news. Friends, think on this and, and think about all the things this week that have been pulling for your, your hopes and your affections. And then if I, if I get this, if I have that, if this happens, if this lines up, then things will be well. That, that's what we're, we're setting our hopes on. And, and, and think about how those things matter nothing compared to what we're talking about right here. Because those things that tempt us, that call for our hope and our affection, bring none. When we stand in a room and look over a casket. There's no hope in that moment apart from Christ. Riches don't matter. Accolades, successes in life, all these things, they don't matter in that moment. Positions held, power wielded, whatever it is. But this is hope beyond the grave. This is us being raised up and seated with Christ. The passage really lays out this way. Our new state in Christ in verse 6 is, is resurrection. We've been, we've been raised because while we were dead, he sent Christ. We have been what raised up with him beyond just resurrection to be seated with him in the heavenly places. We talked about in chapter 1, through our union with Christ, we are there Now we are spiritually alive, and just as we are spiritually alive through our union with Christ, we are at the Father's right hand, where once he sat in judgment over us, and we were under the just and right condemnation of guilty, and you will pay the price for this sin. Now, because of Christ Jesus, we are declared not guilty because he has paid the penalty for our sin, and not only have we been removed from the courtroom, but the the father, the judge, has brought us into his living room and adopted us as children, and now we know him no longer as judge, but as father. And we sit at his right hand, where he delights in us. Because he sees us in Christ Jesus. Friends, our hearts are so fickle. We're, we're, we're going to leave here and we're going to be tempted immediately. We pull out on the road, like, oh, that's a nice car. I'd like to have one of those, right? Pull into the home, go to work tomorrow. We face all kinds of temptations. But may the Lord tether our hearts to this truth. May he bind our wandering hearts to him. Because we're prone to wonder. We're prone to leave the God that we love. The Lord hears our hearts. Hey, can seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Friends, there is no greater news than this news. The world has nothing to offer that even pales in comparison to this. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. 
we followed the course of this world, the prince of the power that is at work in the sons of disobedience, and we were rebelling against the holy God, but God, rich in his mercy, gives us love, mercy, grace, and not wrath, and brings us into his family, and seats us with his son at the right hand. By grace, we have been saved. And this passage is going to move forward to drive this home more and more and to reveal to us what, where we're called and how we're called to walk in light of this glorious truth. But for now, be amazed by God's grace afresh and anew. This morning, if you're here, and it doesn't matter if you've grown up in church, if you've been in church all your life, if you've never been a part of church, if you're new to it, it doesn't matter. What matters right now is, have you come to recognize the truths that we're talking about this morning? Not have you heard them before, but have you, as Tyler talked about last week, experientially, this is what the passage is driving to, that you would know this, that you would know this power. And so this morning, the first thing for you to, to come to grips with is have I come to understand these truths and seen my need for Christ Jesus? Have I come to find myself, I'm one of those desperate people who has no hope in of myself, not even through good living and through coming to church and doing some things and giving some money in the offering. No, 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 no. Have you come to recognize that apart from the mercy of God, you are hopeless, helpless, and hell-bound? But God, sent Christ Jesus, being rich in mercy with a great love with which he's loved you. By grace, he will save you. This morning, you need to recognize that you deserve that curse upon yourself, but Christ Jesus took it for you. And instead, when he went to the cross, he heard the Lord curse you and cast you off. The Lord hide his face from you and pour out his wrath on you. The Lord hide the light of his countenance from you and give you turmoil. And there on that cross, he exhausted the wrath of God so that there is none left for you. So that you, so that I could hear the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you always. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and may he give you peace. This morning, friend, you can know peace if you will recognize your helplessness and throw yourself upon the mercy and grace of Christ and turn to him and be saved. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what about us? This week, thinking on this passage, reflecting on this passage, if you were at the men's um, event last week, I'm assuming you're a man, if you were at the men's event last week, so are so our guys, I had an opportunity to share there. And I got up and said, hey, it's, it's, been, it's been a week. Anybody else had a week? You know? And um, can I just say that, that the, the week continued this week? And, and, and I got to Thursday night, and I thought, can I not just catch a break? Come on! That was my thought. Friday, sad to say that it doesn't work fast for me. I'm slow, slow learner. Friday, I'm, I'm thinking back, and I'm reflecting on it, and I'm thinking about this passage. 
And, and here was my thought. Not going to hell, that's a pretty big break. Can I catch a break? And, 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 then, and, then, and then I thought, I, he's a good father. And he loves me. So I should just accept from his hand whatever providence has come my way and say, Lord, how do you want to use this in my life? How are you trying to make me more like Jesus? Because I'd rather be like him than like me. Because I'm just not that great. Actually, I'm terrible. But he's great. So brother and sister in Christ, what about us? Can, can, can this hope, can it anchor us? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, right? Through every high and stormy gale, his anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Friends, life will bring us some terrible things. But the most terrible thing that we deserve if we are in Christ, we don't get. And this is as close to hell as you'll ever come. But as Jonathan Edwards said, if you don't know Christ, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. And can I tell you, the brokenness of this world pales in comparison to the glories of heaven to come. Brothers and sisters in Christ, one more point of application. This love should orient our lives in all that we do. I think last time I preached, I had like three Luther quotes, maybe Tyler, I don't know. He said, are you Lutheran? I was like, no, I'm really not. I do like Luther. Um, but it, but I, I, I left Spurgeon out, and I really think that's, just, that's my other favorite. So let's, let's go with the Spurgeon quote this time. <coughs> But listen, listen to this from, from Spurgeon, talking about the love of God. Christ loved you before all worlds, long ere before the day star flung its ray across the darkness, before the wing of an angel had flapped an unnavigated ether, before aught of creation had struggled out of the womb of nothingness. God, even our God, has set his love upon all his children. Since that time... Has he once swerved or turned aside or once changed? No. Ye who have tasted of his love and know his grace will bear me witness that he has been a certain friend in uncertain circumstances. You have often left him. Has he ever left you? You have had many trials and troubles. Has he ever deserted you? Has he ever turned away his heart and shut up his bowels of compassion? No, children of God, it is your solemn duty to say no and bear witness to his faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, may we point others to this great hope this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy to us. We thank you that you have given us Christ. We deserve judgment, wrath, and hell. Not popular words today, but reality nonetheless is what we deserve apart from Christ. 
Lord, we are thankful for your mercy and your grace to us and the great love of which you've loved us. And that not only have you just set us at zero, but you have elevated us to the heavenlies and seated us with Christ Jesus at your right hand. And we can call you Father. So this week, may that love orient us. May we testify to its faithfulness. Father, may it anchor us. And may we glory in it. Lord, we pray for any who are here who don't know Christ, that they would know you, not in your judgment, but they would know you in your mercy and grace through Christ Jesus, that even today would be the day of salvation where they would throw themselves upon your mercy and grace. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.